Hi, hello and welcome. This is the Zonecast where we interview emerging Canadian professionals, entrepreneurs and academics. And today we have with us on the show, Manu Kabahizi. He's the co-founder of Ulula. Uh, hi Manu, how are you? Welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Pleased to be here. I'm very excited for this interview. Why don't we start by talking about you? Can you tell us about your uh, professional and personal background? Sure. Um, well, I'm professionally, I'm a hybrid of somebody who's educated in the social sciences and the computer science space. Um, and I'm very fortunate to be, uh, to have both views, a view of technology and a view of social sciences. So that's basically allowed me to have a career where I've had a lot of opportunities to experiment with different technologies and how they imply, apply in the um, in the social space. So Lula is one of them, and Lula, what it does is uh, we try to help businesses have a positive impact in the world, um, particularly in the social um, where social society is concerned. And in particular, we look for things like prevention of things like child labor. Uh, forced labor um, and other human rights abuses that are happening in workplaces as far flung as Bangladesh um, and as close as Hollywood. Wow. So you also worked for the United Nations Food and Agriculture Program. So tell tell us about that experience. Um, yeah, I, I have a very diverse history with the United Nations and various agencies within the UN. I've worked with uh, UNFAO, UNICEF, and various other agencies, um, mostly in the innovation space. So the work that I looked uh, worked with you were talking about in particular in um, with UNFAO uh, was to look at how we can democratize agricultural market prices. Um, and again, this is in a world where typically uh, prices and the commodities and the cost of food is something that is captured by the government and the government does statistical surveys on an ongoing basis to see how life costs for individuals. Um, and this goes on to determine things like currency values and, 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 and all that stuff. Um, but my particular focus was looking at how we can actually make that information valuable to an average citizen or farmer, particularly in East Africa. So trying to to, to make very complex data and somewhat academical policy data relevant to uh, an average person on the streets in, in East Africa. Wow. Um, so can we talk about your venture, Ulula? What is Ulula and how did the idea come about? Um, Ulula has, uh, the origin of Ulula has maybe two possible streams that came together. Uh, the first part is um, the use case, which is, starts with uh, Antoine, my co-founder, who used to work in the natural resource spaces. Uh, he actually also worked for the UN, UN uh, and for a long time, and his particular interest was look at how um, how the natural resources economy can be beneficial to communities, especially in marginalized part of the world. Um, I think you might be, you might have heard of something called an, a, a resource curse, which is that uh, poor countries in the world um, are tend to be poor uh, financially, and their people tend to be poor, um, but they have natural resources, and those natural resources tend to be the source of conflict 
and um, um, inequalities that drive that uh, poverty for the bottom. So he was interested in that area and how to remedy that. Um, the other origin was myself, who's a technologist and particularly had been interested in uh, the democratization of data. Um, so that's basically the two paths that came to create Lula. Wow. Um, so your, your venture Olula helps make supply chains more sustainable. So can you tell us about the different products and solutions you have which uh, help bring that uh, transparency in the supply chain? Oh, absolutely. Um, so we have several products that we, that we offer. Um, the basic one is uh, a service that our customers can use and they it leverages uh, telecommunication networks, so about 800 mobile networks uh, worldwide. Um, and it leverages basically AI technology. So we have bots and those bots on as a primary service that we offer to our clients is those bots could be used to harness um, employee or workers or community concerns, particularly in far in factories and farms and mines that produce everything that goes into making this laptop you're recording this conversation on to the t-shirt I'm wearing. So that's a basic level. It's a monitoring service, um, particularly where you have a third party or a community member that's been harmed and is trying to report something that is valuable. And you could see how something like that would be valuable for, say, for instance, a company like Loblaws that sources all over the world and its suppliers could be or could be non-compliant with the best standards of human rights. So that's one product. Um, the other product that we offer is more of um, a, an active engagement program where actually companies are looking to see whether it's not only that the passively listening to community concerns, so they have hotlines where people can report uh, sexual abuses or, or other abuses or child labor. In this case, companies are actually taking proactive action to inspect facilities using bots. Um, and so that's another layer that we offer. Obviously, this is much more of an ongoing effort as opposed to a case management effort. Um, it's more like you could look at it as a diagnostic tools um, or um, a tool for, for measuring uh, social impact. So those are two primary ones that we, that we have on the market. Um, we are also looking at things like blockchain for monitoring um, uh, products through lifecycle. Uh, we have other tools for, um, for being able to do mass communication with workers or communities in case there is um, things like um, chemical spills and so forth. Yeah, so that's, uh, that's where we are. Wow. So I can imagine a lot of suppliers or factories don't have labor-friendly practices and, and you're trying to reduce that or eliminate that but the suppliers who want to keep things that way may not be happy about your solution that they can anonymously report their working conditions so do you experience any kind of uh, uh, hesitation from the suppliers in using this kind of service um yeah i think there is some hesitation um and to to be honest, I mean, imagine if I came up to you and said, hey, I'm interested in your product, but I'd also like to have monitor how 
your employees feel about where they work. Uh, you may you may pause, <laughs> um, but oftentimes that pause is maybe related to lack of understanding, um, because at the end of the day, um, transparency is not a. Um, it doesn't discount productivity or bottom line. I think what we find is that enlightened suppliers and, and manufacturers and farmers uh, realize that in fact, the better you treat your people, the more productive they are. Um, and the more you could prove that you're treating your employees well, the more marketable you are as, as a service provider. Um, so in that sense, I think you, as much as you can find those who are uh, reluctant, I think there is also an equal case that you could find those who, who are very excited. And I think a lot of those people are actually in the middle, maybe unsure what it's going to mean, but oftentimes uh, could easily be um, converted to understand. Mm -hmm. Do you think consumer brands are naturally interested in having sustainable and ethical supply chains or do they just want um, their products available to them at the lowest possible price in the most efficient manner? Oh, that's a really good, good question. And, and I, I'm, I'm probably going to take a step back a little bit and, and try to answer it. Um, you know, since the turn of last century, the world has been really obsessed with economic measurements. Um, it's how we measure our businesses. Um, very few people go to do an MBA and come back with an understanding of how to measure social impact or well-being, right? Um, it's not just something that people understand. So obviously that colors your vision on what priority is uh, it's going to be. Um, so I think in that world, we we come in as a as a um, as a as a second tier um, uh, value to the market. It's not the same as coming in and, and being Ernest and Young and offering you accounting and auditing services or strategy to improve your financial performance. Um, but even in that context, even in that context. It's not so hard to connect social performance to financial performance. In fact, those two tend to be very intertwined. Um, so I think once you rationalize it a little bit, it's very easy to see the connection. Um, and we've had some really big uh, companies, consumer-facing brands, come to us and talk about how our product can help them reduce absenteeism and how it can reduce um, uh, the, um, uh, the retention of their employees. And all these things are things that go towards productivity. So I, and then on the downside, there's the downside too. There's a downside of ignoring the social responsibility and social sustainability in the marketplace and finding your brand and in front of the headlines with a case of child labor or sweatshop and spending money or having to deal with lawsuits to deal with these issues. So I think that inevitably people care. Um, I think there is a tendency to because we live in that paradigm, but I think ultimately there, it's really easy to put it in a frame that people understand.
Uh, how do you acquire new clients? Um, a combination of them finding us <laughs> and, and uh, finding them in the right places. Um, almost every company that is working internationally or is publicly traded will have somebody that is responsible for social performance or ethical supply chain or um, responsible sourcing or human rights, broadly speaking. Um, and, and like most things, these people will go to conferences and that's where we find them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I've seen some of your, um, your colleagues I think Anton and Vera mm -hmm. in, in conferences and I mean I've not seen I was not at the conference but they have those uh, videos on YouTube where they're talking about Lulula. So recently you had um, a successful fundraising round you raised about a million dollars. Um, tell us about this fundraising process. Um, did you raise it in Canada or US? How hard was it? And how did you value your company with, with investors? Um, those are great questions. Um, the journey was long and um, particularly unique for us. Um, the company was, um, we're a US-Canada based operation from the get-go. Um, and we do something that is a little bit uh, eccentric, maybe novel, if you really wanted to say. Um, so part of it for us, we started off on the traditional VC market. And, um, and you could say a lot of things about VCs, but that didn't work out for us. <laughs> um, and we ended up with uh, impact investors, uh, one based out of California, another one based out of here in Toronto. Um, and it's, it's great uh, having social impact investors. They hold us accountable on uh, the two most valuable metrics to us, which is basically social impact and, um, and capital uh, and financial performance. So it really for us it was a natural alignment with our work. Um, and, and it really just aligned values very well. Uh, the process itself was long uh, and, and it's difficult. Um, it takes a lot more than I think uh, most startups think. Um, but it's also incredibly rewarding as far as an experience. We're very lucky to have, uh, you may want to call them capital partners, um, that uh, truly understand this, what we're trying to do from, uh, not only just from a f uh, business performance perspective, but also from an impact perspective. So um, they're, they're just really good in terms of thinking through about our strategy and providing us uh, right network networks. And, and they're also committed for the long haul. So um, although it was very long and very difficult for us and, um, uh, definitely kissed a few frogs or maybe went for coffee with a few more um, we, we've ended up with where we wanted to be definitely princes and princesses mm -hmm. so it's Ulula has been around for some time it's not a very new venture you've been in, in operation for a few years so is it a tough decision to decide whether you want to move forward with an investment and lose equity or do you want to 
keep reinvesting the profits back in the business to grow it so you can maintain the equity was that a tough decision yeah it's a, it's a very tough call um i mean i think organic growth for most part i think it's got a lot of uh safety and uh it gives you the um it's safe in the sense that it just doesn't bring on another stakeholder on the table <laughs> with yeah. influence. Um, but if you do it right, I think uh, that ability to give up a little bit of power, um, especially if you find the right partners, that ability to give up a little bit of power, to give up a board seat, um, it's very difficult. Um, it's very, it can be very beneficial, that's what I meant. It's, 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 um, it's a difficult process and it's a difficult thing through to think through, but... Um, I would say for startups, if you find the right capital partners and they're not just bringing in money, they're bringing in other strategic support, um, you're, you're, I, I would say it's an, it's an easy decision to make because it's so valuable. Um, then there is obviously the issues like valuation and all that stuff. Um, and it's tricky. It's, it's, a, it's incredibly difficult because... Um, I, th I think it's just naturally counterintuitive. Um, it pushes you to think hard about what you want out of the business as an individual, not just like kind of like the nebulous idea of being like, oh, I'd like to have a company with a logo that looks like this, and I'd like to see it in, in uh, downtown in a building somewhere. No, it's actually really you have to think a lot about um, your own personal uh, life, your estate planning, your life goals and and then turn those into business goals and go back so it's it's tricky exercise but also i think that has a lot of value for um both for creating a vision but also in terms of um finding the right partners to achieve that goal so when you were speaking to uh, investors were they only purely interested in the financial side of things i'll put this i'll invest this much money I'll get this much equity and then over a period of time I'll get my return or were they also influenced by the great social work that you're that you're doing through your uh, products I'll probably say one four out of five were exclusively interested in just the capital returns <laughs> <laughs> if not more maybe maybe nine out of ten that were just strictly interested in the finance financial returns um, it, I mean, I think the the one thing that I grew to appreciate in raising around, um, and I'm not a first time entrepreneur. Um, it's been it's my second. It's it's actually been few. I've been at the rodeo a few times. Um, the one thing I really grew to appreciate is the nature of the business model of VCs. And, and to look at them as businesses, and one that is unique from another. Um, there are some VCs that go out and raise money from hundreds of investors, and they owe those people returns. There are some VCs that are funded by just one individual, and, and that individual has in all the money and has uh, people manage that money, invest that money. You can imagine how those two businesses will operate very differently. Um, there are some VCs that have government money, 
<laughs> then you could see how those behave differently. So they really are a mixed batch. And I think when you, as an entrepreneur, when you're getting to think of a VC, not just as a source of funding, but as a partner, it's really careful. It's really valuable to think through what you think their business model is and, and whether you're the right fit to help them achieve their goals just as much as you have to look at them as if they're right to help you achieve your own personal goal, your business goals. Mm -hmm. So are you open to discussing what equity you gave away for <laughs> in your recent seed round? I, I probably shouldn't, <laughs> uh, but uh, we definitely, uh, one of the key deciding criteria for us is that um, we didn't want to incur a lot of dilution because as you know, uh, if you go far around, just be clear to yourself, it's not the only one. <laughs> 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 there is many more rounds coming, most likely. Okay. Uh, so you just have to plan for that. The, some of the best advice I've ever received as a DMZ is that raise for the next round. If you're going for <laughs> seriously, if you're going, if you're looking to raise a seed round, think about Series A. If you're going for Series A, think about Series B. Wow, you have to think one step ahead. Absolutely, absolutely. You you have to imagine if if not two. Wow. Yeah. So when is your series A round expected to be? Probably next year. 20, next year. Twenty nineteen. Yeah. Wow. So, and uh, did you you mentioned you, you got financing from California? Mm-hmm. So, um, do you think I uh, American investors are more approachable and risk-taking than Canadian investors? For really ventures? Yeah. I mean, every rule has an exception and this does too, but I'd say I, I think so. I think so. Um, and I think there is, I mean, anecdotally, I think that's the experience I've had, especially on the institutional level. Um, I find institutional Canadian investors generally skittish not across the board uh there is there are many firms uh, i'm happy to name some names that i've um including those that invested in us that i feel like are much more bold and are willing to take real risks but i i think there is a lot of skittishness um there is a tendency i think of founding canada there's uh, my experience there's a tendency to do what seeming like everybody else is doing um <clears throat> But I think more broadly speaking, I think that's to make it this an anecdote about my own experience. Um, I think they've, it's very clear that um, VC models really came to mature in, in, uh, in the valley uh, and instruments like safes and others are born out of there and, and slowly making their way to Canada. Um, and under, from what I understand, um, actual expectations in transaction documents and all that stuff is simpler in the U.S. than it is in Canada. So um, I, I think I think despite my own uh, personal biases, there may be some general truth to back up my view <laughs> that the Canadians are more skittish. Wow. So at the moment, you're in the process of uh, expanding your team. So when you hire candidates, what are some of the key things that you look for? 
Um, I mean, on a personal level, um, I hire for potential, not what you can do. Um, and that's, that's a personal driver. Um, and there is a few reasons um, for that. Um, first and foremost, I know that people find their flow or their peak performance in an environment where they're slightly uncomfortable. Mm. So if you take a person out of the same job and you put them in exactly the same job, something that they know how to do, they excel at how to do, they've done it before hundreds of times, uh, you may be putting yourself at risk of finding somebody that is a bit bored and, and, <laughs> and looking for the next thing. Uh, yeah. And yeah. and I think you've been in the, in the several interviews where you ask people what they're looking forward to and growth. It's always a personal growth is a big driver. So that's a that's why I look for potential. Um, the other part of though is that we're we're doing something that is not conventional. So I'm not going to find somebody at Manulife or Scotiabank who has experience doing what I do or being in an environment like what Ulula does. We're 12 people with a business that has footprint in 76 countries. Wow. Yeah, it's, <laughs> so in essence, it's really you just have to hire for potential in that case and hope that the person uh, rises to the occasion. Wow, that's quite impressive. Well, Manu, it has been very nice uh, speaking with you and learning about you and Olula. Thank you so much for taking the time to be on the show. Thank you. It's a great pleasure to be here. Perfect. Um, listeners, if you would like to learn more about Olula, you can visit their website, ulula.com. And thank you so much for listening to Zonecast and stay tuned for more episodes.